in a series, and I'm glad you're here. If, you, if you're here today for the first time, I'm glad you're here because uh, you're, you, you, you may have missed the first couple of sermons, but the, the truth is, is that today especially is a great day for you to be here. Like, I, I just want to tell you the state of my heart before we get started here, and the state of my heart is this, is that when I got into this sermon series, I didn't know what God had for me. I didn't know what God was going to do in my own life. And in fact, I, I have a goal uh, for the series. We titled it End Game Life with Purpose. And obviously, uh, what we want you to get out of this is that, what, you know, what's your end game? It, does your life have purpose and so forth? But as I'm getting into this, I'm, I'm experiencing something that is like beyond compare. And what I'm experiencing is just like this understanding and like this mind explosion of what God can do with us when we understand the motivating factor behind the Christian life. When you understand what the true motivations for living for Jesus are, it's going to, it's not might, it's going to, it's not maybe, it's not like I, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It's not like maybe I attend church sometimes. It's not like maybe I live for God sometimes. It's like it's going to change your life. Like it's got to. It's got to transform who you are, and not because you did it, not because you affected it, not because you're the uh, effective power in your life, but it is only through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And like, we believe this stuff, like we do. That's what we're here doing together, is that we believe that God can use us in our city, like God can transform our hearts, God can make us new, God can cause incredible things to happen in our city, in and through us, but too often, uh, we as Christians don't see it as our role to affect change in our city. We say, you know, that, that is for those people. That is for those people who are overseas missionaries. That is for those people who are paid ministers, such as myself. That is for those people. And we don't get the idea that it is God's purpose in our lives that the people who are leading, such as myself, the leading elders and uh, the deacons at uh, this church are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up and into maturity uh, that's attaining to the fullness of Christ, it says in Ephesians. And what, what does that mean? It means this, like God has something so big and so great and so incredible for us, but here's the thing, we don't get it because we're not really about the things of God. And so I think there's two ways that I could come at you. I could come at you and, and, say, and say this, and I'd have to include myself in this. I could come at you and say, you know, you should feel guilty for, for not living for God on the level that you should which obviously leaves you with just guilt. And guess what? That's not driven by Jesus Christ. That's not a life that's changed by Jesus Christ. That's a life that's been changed by guilt. A life that's been changed by Jesus Christ has an internal motivation that doesn't go away. A life that's been changed by Jesus Christ, that's been transformed, that's been renewed, that's been made into his image and likeness is is one that's been affected by what he's done for us. But we, too often, we don't get that. Some of you grew up in the church and you received Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're like me, I received Jesus Christ when I was five years old. I, uh, and then by the time I was 21, I didn't know what I believed. And so I, I had to come to this realization of, 
am I really in this? Do I really want to be a part of this? What's going on here with my life and this whole thing called Christianity? And so I spent uh, probably the next few years just really kind of figuring that out and fleshing it out. But here's the thing. I think we're missing so much more. There's this connection piece with our life that we don't necessarily get. And one of the first ones is, like we talked about the first week in our series Endgame here, is that there's a reason behind life. So many of us are depressed or we're not really sure what's going on or maybe you're not depressed yet because your life hasn't necessarily given out on you. But here's the thing. It says in Romans chapter 1 that uh, God's, uh, God's blessing slash also punishment is to give you what you want. And so oftentimes, you may be getting everything that you want. Like business may be succeeding, like finances are up, uh, rents are up, whatever it is, but things are going well for you. And what God, God's purpose in your life is that you would come in, to an end of yourself. So sooner or later, you get more and you get more and you get more, and then pretty soon you're just like, I, it doesn't matter how much more I get, it just doesn't matter. Think about this. Sex works that way oftentimes. It, it, really um, mostly outside of marriage. You can never get enough. Uh, money, sex, power, uh, prestige, approval, relationship. Those things, they, they, they're just never enough. They're just elusive. And so you come to the end of yourself maybe, and then you say, I, I cannot figure out the reason or the meaning behind life. I don't know what my purpose is in life. And so we spent the first week talking about John 1.1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And why, why does John use that word, word, and the word means the reason? It means the reason. In the beginning was the reason, and the reason was with God, and the reason was God. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for life. There isn't some sentence out there like, if I could just grab onto this, if there's just some kind of elusive meaning that I could find in my life, I could find it. Jesus is the person who brings meaning to life. But Jesus says that he's the door. He says that he's the door. So he's the reason for life, and when we come to him, what happens is this, is that this door opens into a whole nother world. So what is this world that we're talking about? Well, when you think about uh, when, you, when, an, when, when someone or something finds its reason for existence, it finds its purpose. So when we find out that Jesus is our reason for existence, then all of a sudden we can find our purpose in life. So if Jesus isn't at the top of the list for you, if Jesus isn't the fundamental principle behind your life, what has to happen first is that Jesus has to become that. But let me explain why, why it works this way. Jesus has to become your fundamental reason for life because of this. Jesus opens the door, and he is the way, the truth, and the life to God. And what Jesus says is this, that his purpose on earth was to glorify God. Jesus' purpose on earth and throughout eternity is to glorify God. So, but you have to ask the question, like, why, why would I really want to glorify God? Why is that something that I would really want to do? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is essentially a distillation of Christian doctrine, says this. It says, it's the first question on this list of questions, and it says, what is the chief end of man? And it says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
So if we say, Jesus is my reason for life, and when I, when I buy into Jesus, what happens is this, is that my chief end, the, the very thing that I am supposed to be doing is to glorify God. That's what I'm supposed to do. That, but really, what happens is this, like, what does that mean to me? What's that mean to you? What's it mean to glorify God? And how does that help me in any way? Well, as I said, Jesus says that he is the door. He's the door to understanding all of these things. He's the door to understanding what that really even means to glorify God. We talked this last week about this, that we've essentially in life been looking for all kinds of things. We've been looking for people to recognize us, to see us, to, to say, uh, you're very good or you're doing a great job. We're looking for approval from our spouse. We're looking for approval from our work. We're looking from, for approval from our friends. We're looking to feel like we're successful, and we're looking to experience beauty, to see it, and then to also take it in, and then to even be a part of it. So there's this deep longing, like my life and your life have this deep longing for significance. And like not just like on a, on a light scale, I mean like my life and your life or about achieving significance. We are about achieving this, this reality around us that says that you are good, the things that you're doing are good, the people around you approve of you, you get to see beauty, and beauty is a part of you, you get to enter into it. But here's the thing, it's as if this is what's going on. I wanted to bring up an actual door here today, but couldn't put it together fast enough. But let's just say that we have a door right here. And on that door is approval. It's, it's money, sex, power. It's relationship. It's kids. It's my spouse, my marriage, the health of it. It's uh, the house that I'm, I'm remodeling. I'll throw myself in here. It's all of those. It's like on this door, I'm sitting here and I'm knocking and I'm saying, I want to achieve this kind of approval. This, I want to experience something that brings me significance in life. I want my marriage to make me feel significant. And by the way, if it doesn't, I'm going to end this marriage. I'm not really saying this, but sometimes people do. I'm going to end this marriage. I'm going to go find someone else that makes me feel significant. But here's the problem. Here's the root problem. It is a door that you will keep knocking on, and you will keep knocking on, and you will keep knocking on. And on the other side of that, we believe is significance. On the other side of that, we believe is main heading glory. We believe that on the other side of that door is glory, and if I could get to that, if I could get to that thing, then everything would change. If I could just get things to that level, then everything would change for me. And guys, listen, it's not just non-believers who feel this way. It's not just people who uh, are kind of you know, so-so Christians or something like that. This is for every single one of us we say that we're a Christian, we, we pray a sinner's prayer, we identify with God on some level, we say that he's cool, Jesus is my homeboy, whatever you want to call it, and somehow we're still knocking on this door looking for significance. But here's the problem. Jesus says that he is the door. Jesus says that he is the door. And the door is for the sheep. And the sheep are his people. The sheep are his people, and what happens is this, is that when you go to Jesus as your door, as your reason for existence, what takes place is something phenomenal. 
is that Jesus opens the possibility of experiencing glory like you've never experienced it before. Like you've never experienced it before. See, the things that you're looking for in life, the success that you crave, the great marriage that you want, the kids that you want to be obedient, the stuff that you desire, the approval that you want from the car that you're driving, the approval that you want from your spouse, the approval that you want from a future spouse, all of those things are rooted in this reality, the glory of God, the glory of God. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, welcome into the heart of things, the door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. When you understand this, that Jesus is the way, he is the way towards the glory of God and that this is the thing that you've been looking for. And listen, Christian, Christian person, the, the distress in your life right now is coming from a misplaced desire for glory oftentimes. The, the, the sin that you're dealing with in your life, it is coming from a misplaced desire for glory. And what we talked about last week and really where, where I, I got this idea was from C.S. Lewis's uh, essay, The Weight of Glory. I made a post about this on Facebook, The Weight of Glory, and then J.R. Vassar's book called Glory Hunger. You, you, you need to read those. Please read them. You need to. But what, these are, what they're essentially saying is this, is that we've been desiring this all of our life. And the truth is, is that it continually trips us up. It continually causes us to be people that are ineffective. And at the end of the day, it leaves you with meaninglessness and purposelessness in life. And I, I just want you to get that for a second. When we're singing these songs, like, oh, God, be my everything. Oh, be my delight. Be Jesus my glory. My soul satisfied. What we don't hear oftentimes is that Jesus doesn't just satisfy us temporarily. Like perhaps sex or money or power does. Jesus satisfies us eternally. Jesus can satisfy you eternally. The thing that you've always been, the door that you've always been knocking on is the glory of God. And in fact, in my own life, I, I had to look through and just say, my insecurity comes from a desire for glory in my life. My insecurity comes from the reality that oftentimes I, I, I want to be approved of. I want to be approved of in, in perhaps a, a, a good sermon or the relationships that I have with friends. And that insecurity is rooted not in the glory of God, but it's, it, it's rooted in my glory. My desire to take from God what is his glory. But here's what God says is that you and I were made to go after the greatest glory that ever was. You and I were created to go after and, and achieve and be a part of the greatest thing that ever was or could be. Do you know that? 
that God has created you in such a way that you would experience glory. You were, you were made that way. What we said this last week is that Adam and Eve in the garden, if you remember that story, but Adam and Eve in the garden, they had everything. They had relationship with God. They were naked. They were married. They were in a garden. That's a dang good place to be, right? They were like in this place. It was glorious to say the least. There were all kinds of you know, I can just think of cows, like lots of meat around. They could just cook a steak anytime they want, right? It's all, I've always got to bring steak into a sermon. Like they're in the midst of glory. They have perfect relationship with God. And Satan comes to them and says, you should eat that fruit because God's really keeping something from you. And so you should go ahead and eat that one fruit that God told you not to eat. And so they go ahead and do it, and what essentially happens in those moments is this, is that they want to be like God, knowing good and evil. They want to take from his glory. They want to take from his perfection, and they want to say, hey, that's mine. This is mine. It's essentially glory stealing. And you know what? You and I are created that way. When, when, when we were created, we were, we were created, yet we, we have this sinful nature about us because of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so as a result, you and I go through life and we're continually kind of glory stealing. And the way that we do this, as Roman, Romans 1, chap, uh, chapter 1 uh, says, again, that we worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator who's forever blessed. We worship the things that are around us in life. You, you don't understand what worship is. You're like, I, I haven't done any seances, Matt. I don't got any candles in a circle or whatever it is, the, the pentagram, the, all the, all, you know, all the, I know that. Most of you have not been involved in that. But here's the thing. Worship comes like this. It means I'm giving up of myself. I'm sacrificing time. I'm sacrificing money. I'll sacrifice relationships with my kids, my wife, my husband, I'll sacrifice anything in order to get this thing. This is worship. You and I cannot get out of the idea of worshiping things. But what Paul says in Romans is essentially this, that when we're worshiping and serving the created thing rather than the creator, this is the wrong focus, and this is why the wrath of God is impending upon mankind, all those who have not received Jesus Christ, but here is the greatest thing ever. That you and I, if, you, if you've ever read the scriptures or if you've heard the gospel, we have the answer. You and I have the answer for glory. So that this happens. So that you don't have to knock on the wrong door for the rest of your life. Trying to see something happen. So that you don't have to keep knocking on that door saying, I, I want something, but I can never get it. You can have your soul satisfied because God provides satisfaction through his glory to you. It changes your focus to where you say, I want to be all about glorifying God. I want to be all about him. I want to be all about his things. Now, here's where the problem comes is that when you say, I want to be all about God's, uh, about God's thing, I want to follow him, I want to serve him, I want to glorify him, and yet you don't connect that with the big why. Why should I do that? When you don't understand 
that your whole life and everything that you've been going after is really glory, but that's really a pale comparison to God's eternal glory, which will completely fulfill you. If you don't understand that why, you will never understand the how. You'll never understand the how. And so what it says in the scriptures, and I've got a few scriptures for you this morning, is that somehow in our relationship with God that we receive glory, not God's essential glory, not that we become gods. That's a couple other different religions. That's not us, right? But what it says is this, is that you get to experience God on a whole new level. You get to experience life on a whole new level. And when you experience that, guess what? Something happens. Life changes. And guess what? You get to be a light in your world for change. And you want other people to experience that same glory. So here it is, Hebrews 2.10 through 11. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Now stop there for a second and just say it's talking about Jesus. It's fitting that he, this is the guy from whom and by whom all things exist, when he brought many sons to glory. Do you realize this? That when you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God's promise to you is that you're being brought to glory. You're being brought to the thing that you're always knocking on the door for. You're saying, I want the satisfaction. I want this water bottle. I want all of this stuff. I want this. And it's saying, he's bringing many sons and daughters, by the way, to glory. And then he says, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Our source in this is Jesus himself, and he brings us to glory. He brings us to this experience of God, this approval. Glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, welcome into the heart of things, as C.S. Lewis says. Another uh, passage for you, Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And what this essentially means is that God knows who is going to come to him and who is not. And so what he says is this, is that those who I chose to know, those people, I, I'm going to destine them. They have this destiny. They have this call in their life to be conformed into this image of God, the image, uh, to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He glorified. Now listen here. Does glorification mean that tomorrow morning I'll get everything that I want? No. What it does mean is this is that everyone lives forever. Everyone lives forever somewhere. 
There are some who are bound for glory. And there are some who are bound for eternal damnation. What this is saying here is that those who have been justified, he also glorified. It's as though God is looking into the future and he is saying this. He's saying, I will glorify my son. I will glorify my daughter through their relationship with me. I will allow them to experience this. So as Christians, what we get to experience is the glory of God in a new and profound way because as a result, we're no longer looking to the things in life to actually allow us to feel good about ourselves, but now we're looking through Jesus and we're able to open the door and actually experience the glory of God to glorify him and to be glorified uh, for eternity with him. But then what happens is this, is a transformed life flows out of people who've been glorified. A transformed life. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, for it is all, uh, for, verse 15 through 18, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are, uh, as, we, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now what is this, what did that just say? It just said this, that Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, it is for your sake. It is for your sake. It's for you, and it's for me, and it's for us. It's for us that as grace extends to more and more people, as more and more people hear about the grace of Jesus Christ, as more and more people hear about God's grace upon people who are constantly trying to steal from God's glory, as more and more people hear this, then listen, it's never going to open. The door is never going to open for that. It's never going to open as long as you're looking for that. You have to go through Jesus who is the door. He is the one who has grace for you. And this is increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. How do you glorify God with your life? You join God on his mission. You join God in his end game to bring more and more and more and more people into the reality that you are no longer searching for your own glory and how this has caused you to be a different person, and how this has caused you to come alive, and how this has caused you to be somebody who's no longer looking to your finances, or to your marriage, or to your future marriage, or to your whatever to fulfill you, but you have true fulfillment. So you go into your world, and what begins to excite you is this, is that because you've experienced what God can do in your life. You are somebody who wants other people to hear about God's end game. You live with a new purpose. Your new purpose is this, is that I want to glorify God. 
I want to glorify God with my life. Now, there are several different ways to do that, but the primary purpose, the supreme purpose of, and, and way that God is glorified is through the gospel. It's through the story of Jesus Christ, how he comes into the world, he leaves his glory behind, and he glorifies God by sacrificing himself on the cross. And he goes to the cross, and more than just dying on the cross, he's raised from the dead. This is how God is glorified. We can look at it in John 17, but that's essentially what that says there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, beginning there, says this. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now what's this saying? Like, there's a why in the midst of this. There's a why in the midst of this, and it's essentially saying this, that when Jesus goes to the cross for you, and when your whole glory paradigm changes from stealing from God, and you receive what Jesus has done on the cross, what happens is this, is that God wants you to no longer live for yourself. You no longer have to use people to get glory. You get to use yourself to glorify God and hopefully get glory for other people. True glory, lasting glory, eternal glory. What, what, is, what does this mean? It essentially means this, that God's end game, the way that he is glorified through the Son of God, Jesus, God in the flesh, is by Jesus having gone to the cross. And when you and I Never think about that. If you and I are people who are not about extending the grace of God to more and more and more people, what it says is this, that you and I are people who still have a glory problem. And our glory problem is rooted in our stuff. Our glory problem is rooted in our time. I need to glorify me, and so I don't have time for that. I need to glorify me, and so I don't have time to glorify God with my life. I need to glorify me. And here's the thing. God wants you to know something. He wants you to know that he forgives you for that. He wants you to know that you cannot do enough to get away from him. You cannot outsin him. You cannot screw up your life so much that God would never uh, love you. You cannot do that enough because God's love is beyond all compare. God's acceptance of you is his glory. He glorifies you. And he says this, you're glorified in me through Jesus Christ. And when you get that acceptance, when you get that very good spoken over your life, when you get that acknowledgement, the door on which you've been knocking all of your life opens 
you experience glory and then you want other people to experience that same glory. Guys, we're not here giving good advice. I don't stand here and give good advice. My hope is this, is that the advice that I give you while rooted in God's wisdom is essentially this, that there's no way that this can take place in your life without Jesus Christ becoming your everything. There's no way. You can't affect it. You can't make it happen without Jesus becoming your everything and changing you from the inside out. And this is what I desire for our church. This is what God wants for us. How are we glorifying God with our lives in our city? How are we doing this? Are we people that are still stealing glory from God or are we people that want glory for God? Understanding this, that my glory is eternal. This is a light and momentary affliction that I'm going through. The fact that I don't get to watch my show on Netflix because I'm serving Jesus in this way. The fact that I have less money because I invite my neighbors over and I pay for a bunch of meat and, and, and beer and wine or, or what if you, do, if you drink or whatever, or uh, soda pop, or if you go to Corbin or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I know the drill. I think that changed recently, didn't we? We have a professor that goes here. I should shut up. But in, in any case, so like you're, you're just like, hey, listen, like this is not my own like this, this is my wallet. It's gigantic. I know I've got like the, that's the guy from Seinfeld that had a huge wallet, but, and I've got that thing going on. But this is, this is not my own. Like, I don't own this. And guess what? It doesn't bring me glory. Like, what's in this thing? All the, the cards and the, the receipts, the stuff that I've bought. I got $50 for a, uh, a uh, stove that I sold the other day. But I mean, all this stuff, like this doesn't bring me glory. I no longer have to say I'm totally dependent on this. And now I get to say this, I get to say, this is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm gonna glorify God, not just with my body, but I'm gonna glorify him with my wallet. I'm gonna glorify him with the things that I'm doing in my life. And sometimes that means I'm going to take a pay cut so that I can be with my family more, so that I can be a part of Christian community. And sometimes that means this, I'm going to sacrifice out of my budget to ensure that I'm giving back to God in some ways. And sometimes it means just flat out saying to yourself, I'm not going to be about me anymore. I'm not going to be about my glory you got to preach yourself through that. You have to preach yourself through the reality that somehow I'm seeking after me only. And as a result, things are going to happen in our city. 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That is those people who will be saved that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Could you say this about your life? Therefore, let me, let me back up two verses. 2 Timothy 2, 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead? 
the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. I'm suffering. I'm bound with chains as a criminal, Paul says. He's in jail because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are turning from idols and they're turning to the true and living God. They're turning away from their glory-seeking selves. And they're saying, now I'm all about the glory of God. And then he says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the people that are going to come to know Jesus. I'm willing to lay everything down. I'm willing to let it all go because I want them that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's what I want in life. What does that mean? Do you want meaning and purpose in life? Jesus is the reason. And he gives you meaning and purpose. And when you glorify God with your life, it all changes to a new theme. I want my friends, relatives, neighbors, co-workers, and the people around me to experience the glory of God. That's what a Christian is. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they might also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I want them to experience the freedom that comes from them saying, I'm not going to be about that anymore. I could go on and on. God is calling us to this weight of glory. Won't you please engage with that and call others to that as well? Let me tell you how this works in our church. We're serving a, a community that is not like ours. It's a few blocks over here, and there's another one a few blocks over here. The general group of people that we have at our church is um, some middle-class folks. But in those areas of town, they have unflattering names like Felony Flats and things of that nature. But in those areas of town, there are kids who are suffering. There are children who are dealing with things that most of us in this room know nothing about. And the reason why you're sitting in a, a nice middle-class church is because you identify with these people probably. But those people in those areas are experiencing the greatest suffering in our community. And I asked, uh, actually we asked Richmond Elementary to share some stories with us. And I think the stories, if I remember right, I meant to bring this up here with me, but the stories went like this. This is somebody who um, has been kicked out of their house. They, we're talking about a child. Parents aren't around. Dad's in jail. This child, his mother's on meth, and she tried to kill him. But now she's gotten through all of that stuff with DHS, and so, so now he's back in the home, and now he's with this mom. And so I sat with uh, the principal and the school counselor and the office manager the other day in that room, 
And here are women who are just bleeding for people in our city, and we don't know anything about them. They're, they're sitting there and they're saying, like, 80 some odd percent of our school is in crisis situations. There's 300 children in this school that don't have food to eat over the weekend. And the parents are oftentimes disciplining by not giving the child food. And they're just sitting there saying, we don't know what to do with this. And you know what I'm saying? I know what to do with that. I know what to do with that. My glory isn't found in my wallet. My glory's not found in just sitting in a church service. My glory's not found in just experiencing some good Christian community and fellowship with other people that don't have problems so they don't ask too much of me. My glory is found in enduring everything for the sake of the elect. I don't know who is elect over there, who know, who's going to know Jesus and who doesn't. All I'm told is to have compassion on my city because it's not about me. And so what are we doing as a church? We started feeding 70 families, and so we have community groups that come down here on Thursday nights, and we pack backpacks full of snacks and a bunch of junk food, which I'd like to change. But a lot of you brought that junk food, so thanks for bringing it. Uh, <laughs> a winning endorsement of that. But uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to ask for some different types of food. But here's the thing. We need more food. The church by itself, as in the organization, not just the people, we can't fully support that by ourselves. And guess what? We did uh, 70 kids this last week. We filled out backpacks. It took us about 20 minutes, and I was like, that was a cakewalk. Like, I want to experience this idea of, like, I want to endure everything for the sake of Christ. Like, give me two hours of packing backpacks, right? Like, that's the least that I could do for a hungry kid, right? Give me two hours of that. So we just went back to them and said, we need 70 more kids, at least. And here's our goal. We want every kid at Richmond to have food over the weekend. Why? Because my glory's not found in me. And your glory's not found in your stuff. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. He's the door to receiving real fulfillment. And so we're people that love Jesus and live outward. We're people who say this, the glory of God has affected me so much that it's going to affect my community no matter what. I'm going to endure, endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation with the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We're not just feeding mouths. We're enduring everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So, Lord, I pray that um, these people here in this room, Lord, I know that there's folks in here that are on the edge of, of, of their faith. If they have faith at all, there are people in here who are just wondering if this is true. And, Lord, I'm, I'm asking for them that you would give them uh, your light in their life. 
And that light being the knowledge that this is true, that the word of God is true, it is excellent, and that you are truly the thing that they've been searching for all their life. Lord, if they've never done that, I pray that they would do that today. Lord, we ask you for that. Lord, for all of us here, Lord, may we truly be outward church. We are not just outward in name only. We are people who sincerely love you, and as a result, our lives are changed. And so we get to live on mission. Your end game to glorify yourself is your mission. And so, Lord, we want to be all about what you want. Lord, change us from the inside out. Allow us to not try to pursue glory from your created things and steal from you, but from the creator who's forever blessed. Lord, we, pr we pray that we would go after that, that we would rightly get that through Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.